Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. It's been about five weeks since we had an episode in your podcast feed, and in those five weeks, a lot has happened. The last time that we had a chance to uh, release an episode, we had a chance to talk to Mike Gelfand, who's the chair of the Civil Case Committee, one of the primary authors of A State of Genesis Petrillo versus uh, Harper Martini and Peony Estates. It was great to have an opportunity to talk to Mike. We always like having Gelf on the show. And since that time, we've had the chance to actually use the case. We've had the chance to actually dive in and see how this case is tried and, and get some information on how this virtual mock trial season is going to work. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But Drew, since you know it's been over a month since we've had a chance to catch up, I'm interested in what you've been doing in the mock trial world over the last couple of weeks and, and month. I know that your team at Empire competed recently for one of their competitions. You and I were keeping in touch as that was going on. So tell me, how did that go? How was the uh, Empire online experience for you all? Yeah, so I, I will say that, uh, first of all, I will be honest when I say that I have not been doing as much with mock trial as I probably have in, in past years. Um, the prepping for the Empire tournament was probably the most I've done. I've seen a couple of tournaments that we'll get to in a bit. Um, and I had a lot of fun judging those, but honestly, this, this year has just been a, a bit of a crazy one. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday night where I think we're, you know, finally settling down from the craziness of the election. But, um, yeah, Ben, you mentioned Empire, and, and I will say that I had a lot of doubts going into it of how this was going to all work, um, but Empire, as they so often do, really uh, impressed me. They did a phenomenal job. Um, I got to say, talking to uh, Veron and Justin a few pods ago um, and kind of hearing a little bit about their plans, seeing that all pay off was really, really cool. Um, they did a phenomenal job. There were their fair share of tech issues. Um, we had a funny incident where on the initial opening ceremony Zoom, um, either the wrong link was sent out or the wrong account was used and uh, Zoom had a maximum of 300 people and we had this craziness blow up in the, in the, uh, the coaches, uh, Slack chat of people being like, we can't get in, we can't get in. Um, but ever since that happened, uh, the rest of it ran really remarkably smoothly for us. Um, the team itself did really well. Um, I was really proud of Galloway. I think they, they worked really, really hard. And I think that it paid off really well for them. Um, we went four and four, and I'm really proud of them for that result. Um, I will say that one of the interesting things that happened for us was that we really were battling against more than just the teams against us. It just happened that the Empire Tournament that we competed in was the exact same weekend as the hurricane that hit uh, so much of the South and, and really went right through Atlanta. Um, as a result, about half of our kids were without power and they were, you know, playing, you know, Frogger with houses, trying to find some place that had power. Um, I think a couple of them ended up, you know, going to a law firm trying to do it and trying to keep them all distanced with COVID recommendations and everything else through it was a, a time and a half um, for us to deal with. But so there were a lot of craziness going on, but it ended up, working out pretty well. Um, like I said, I think that there were their fair share of difficulties, but on the whole, it went well. I mean, it, it functioned. It felt like mock trial. Um, you know, it, it was cool to be able to watch it in the comfort of my room. Um, I didn't have to fly all the way back to Georgia to watch them. Um, and I will briefly say that I had probably my most eye-opening experience um, 
and as far as coaching has been for me. And it was that, uh, that we, we do have them go blind and I will fully admit that I'm glad that I have them go blind. And this is kind of the, the reason why I'm glad for that. In our third round, we, we were three and one going into it. They didn't know it, but we were facing another three and one team. This was essentially, you know, what was going to put us forward into, you know, a, a high, high round four. Um, and we faced a team that we were, in my opinion, pretty clearly better than. We really easily won the pretrial oral argument. Um, you know, both ballots reflected that we won it by like three or four points. I mean, a really substantial win. Um, we won both of the openings, like really clear wins. Uh, and throughout the directs and the crosses, the other team just really didn't know how to respond to objections. They were trying to use 8036 for things that were just clearly not going to meet all of the prongs. We kept out every single piece of evidence that they could ever dream of getting in. They literally entered one piece of evidence the whole time despite trying to enter over six. It felt like everything you would say as a landslide victory. And we got the results and they were not quite that. Um, and look, I mean, judging is what judging is. They're, they're, they wrote comments. They explained why they scored us down in the places that we did. Um, we have some rather aggressive attorneys that they were turned off by. And, you know, that's that judge's decision to make. But going into the Zoom room with those kids afterwards and the exuberance, the excitement that they all had um, and how well they had just done, how proud they were feeling of themselves and me trying to match that enthusiasm when on the inside I've just read, seen this ballot and feeling torn up about the results, um, it was tough. It was just really, really tough, I'll be honest. Um, but it did make me reflect on how important going blind is. I think that it, it allowed them to keep their confidence and their, um, their general enthusiasm going into round four. And I, I know from how they reacted once they found out the results at the end, how that affected them. Um, and I don't think it would have been good for them to go into round four knowing those results. But, um, Man, it was it was not fun as a coach to have to go through that, and I will fully admit that it was not a result that I was expecting, and not a result that I wanted to see, and it it made it tough to digest. Um, but I will I will admit when I'm wrong. I do think that going blind is preferable simply because it it just it eliminates the possibility of that being an element against your team, and you don't have to worry about that. Um, so I, I my eyes were again open to that. I think. So, uh, you know, that's kind of been my last couple of months with mock trial. Um, ben, obviously, you've been uh, pretty busy in the, the high school world as well. So I'll kick it over to you. What have you been up to? A lot of mock trial, um, which I know will shock our listeners. But, uh, yeah, so y- you mentioned uh, Justin and Vron earlier, and it was really funny. A couple weeks after we had them on the show, you know, I'm on the board of Maryland High School mock trial, and we're actually um, – working with empire and they're helping us do like the software administration for our high school competition this year. And it was just, it was fun to get to talk to them again. And they did a really cool presentation about like a modified version of process. And it like, I got to nerd out with them about process again, which was (laughs) really fun. Uh, But yeah, no, it's been really cool. So one of the things that I got to do this year in Maryland is I was the case author for the 2020 to 2021 Maryland high school case. It's a civil case, or no, sorry, it's a criminal case, uh, State of Maryland versus Izzy Gardner. Um, I don't know how many of you all listen to a lot of other podcasts, 
But one of my absolute favorite podcasts of all time is a show called Last Scene. Uh, it was made by WBUR Boston, and it's about the heist, the famous art heist at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Uh, it's an amazing podcast. Some incredible artwork was stolen um, now, I think about 25 years ago, maybe more than that, and it's never been found. So I took that basic storyline, moved it to an art museum in Baltimore. We got their permission to use their museum and everything and wrote a case about it that essentially turned into like an art heist whodunit. Um, I think it's really cool. I think it came out really well. I think it elevates the um, intensity of Mock Trial in Maryland. The the case author of the last couple of years who's on the committee did a fantastic job. Uh, and I tried to sort of continue that, but also just bring in some new elements. This is the first time, for example, that there's a witness choice in, in Maryland High School Mock Trial. The, the, the plaintiff can choose between two different security guards uh, who were present the night of the heist, uh, and you can only call one of them. So I don't know. I was just, I've been super excited about that. It, it took months and months of really hard work to put the case packet together. I already had an immense amount of respect for um, our case authors, for people like Mike Gelfand and, and Sam Jahanger, who we had on the show, and and others who, you know, Neil Shewitt and, and others who do those types of things. But it really added a whole new perspective to that process. Um other than that, I mean, it's just been a lot of AMTA tournaments, law school tournaments, doing my, you know, two different mock trial jobs and, you know, just kind of being back in this world. And we have a lot of thoughts about that that we'll get to. But honestly, it's just been nice to get to spend time with my students and work on a mock trial case and edit directs and crosses and do all the stuff that coaches get to do. So it's been an interesting couple of months and I am looking forward to discussing all of it with you. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy how long it's been um, since we last talked. Like I said, I mean, it's it, it's been kind of a crazy last few months either way. Um, but I will, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up process again. Um, I just I want to shout out, like, it was so seamless and so easy to access all of the results. Um, and I just, I the whole weekend, I was I was blown away with with how how easy they made that. Um, and so my hat's off to Empire. I mean, I, I frankly can only hope that AMTA does something, you know, mildly similar to it, but, um, it, it was great. It made life a lot easier. Yeah. You know, let me piggyback on that really quick. So for Charm City, which we'll get to, but, uh, so we used a virtual tabbing system that was designed by Sam Jahinger of Chicago. And I know there are several other ones out there. Like, they're life-changing. They're incredible. The one we used for Charm City, it just basically took all of the things that Amter reps can screw up and made them impossible to screw up. It was, I, I, I cannot say enough great things about the system that Sam designed and just how smoothly it ran from start to finish. And I'm sure process is the same way. We've gone to a couple other invitationals that uh, you know, we're doing things that way. And it really does, as someone who's amped or repped a couple of years in a row, like when we're back in person, a lot of things should go back to the way we've done them. This should not. Like <laughs> we should go to these types of systems. Amta needs to hire someone to design one and give it to all of their tournaments because it, was, it would be crazy after seeing these tab systems and how efficient and easy to use they are to go back to. And I was someone who believes in like, 
tab cards, right? I was always yeah, a big proponent yeah. of tab cards, but it wasn't, it was because we went to invitationals who would use a digital pairing system and then I would repair it and it was completely wrong, right? right? right. But now that we've got ones that work, it would be nuts to try to go back to what we used to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just crazy to me how, I mean, you could so, like, within five minutes of getting the last ballot in. Yeah. Like, turn around, okay, pairings, let's go. Well, and the ballot access, too. You get your ballot so fast. Oh, it was beautiful. I mean, like, everything about it, I was just stunned with how seamless it was. It was, I mean, look, this is a process-specific thing, but it was so user-friendly, so easy to find things. Um, and, I mean, just, it, it, you're so right, Ben. I mean, I just, I, I'm... I hate the idea of going back to what we were at before because this system to me was so easy and so so quick that I'm like, why would why would we not continue to use this? Um, I, I will say that I think that I think that the one issue I have is that because there is not a single online tool that everyone is using, I think it becomes confusing, and a lot of people are trying to do it themselves, and that comes with its fair share of problems, like you mentioned, Ben. When individual invitationals try to create their own pairing systems, there are hiccups. I, I've seen already a lot of invitationals have had a lot of these tech, you know, pairing issues and things of that nature. Um, and I think that what, what needs to happen is, you know, some wonderful person needs to come along, make one, and then let everyone else use it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the, the path of, of my dreams, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Per, perhaps a job for our governing body right you know uh, it, it makes sense right i'm sure they're working on it. i have exactly. no doubt of that fact uh speaking of our governing body uh let's let's talk amta for a few minutes um, or probably more than a few minutes uh Knowing us, so yeah, yeah no, right exactly if we talk amta for only a few minutes i'm i'm not sure if anyone would think we're okay right. who's gonna listen to us at that point <laughs> who's gonna listen to us either way sure. uh but, no so uh it's been really cool you know we we've now had several weeks of of invitationals so you know we've we've gotten to go to several of them and, and drew and i have kind of we're going to try to roll through a list of a whole bunch of different topics um and let's start with a topic that uh we actually discussed with mike elfan when he was on the show and that's how this case coexists with the new AMTA time limits uh so i think probably everyone who's listening to this podcast is familiar but AMTA's reduced all of the various time limits for uh cases you know their trials are now supposed to get in in two and a half hours and i will say it has been the the concerns that we had when we had mike on the show i would argue have been shown to be valid concerns uh and that's not blaming mike in fact i would specifically say it is not his fault because he is not the person who chose to put those time limits in place and his committee obviously we're not the people who put those time limits in place um and so I'm not sitting here to say that AMTA did a horrible thing by shortening time. Zoom fatigue is real, but it is tough. It is, it is tough to get in a case in that time, especially when, and I'm bleeding over a little bit here. And so I'll kick it to you in a second, Drew. But when I'm of the opinion that the lack of a human aspect in this activity is causing people to behave with less sportsmanship. And so I think teams are deliberately time-wasting a lot more than has been happening in the past. And that, I think, is adding to... I mean, you, you can leave plenty of time for something, but if your opposing witness is just going to deliberately time-waste um, and you have such... I mean, cross-time this year is like like precious minerals. Like you have so... You have to 
use your cross time so wisely. And when you have a witness who's determined to fight everything, uh, even the most simple of questions, you're, you're really, you know, up a creek without a paddle. And, and it's, I don't know, it's been really interesting. And I hope that AMTA is paying attention and thinking about ways to modify and consider the things that we're seeing so far. But Drew, I, I've been going on for long enough, so I'll kick it to you. What do you think? I, I think that it's a totally valid point. And I, I think that the time limits are are frustrating to see. Um, I, I think that my biggest thing, just in general, is that like, I, I get the whole Zoom fatigue thing, but also like, I don't think five minutes here, five minutes there is going to make a huge difference. I think Zoom in general is just exhausting to have to be on. And maybe it's just me. I've been very engaged by the rounds that I've seen. I have not felt like I'm like tired or exhausted. I want more. I want to hear more. I want to hear a more complete and coherent argument. And it is, it feels like there is just, they're cutting a little shorter than they normally would. And I can tell. And I'll say this. I think that like the fact that there's ample evidence that have no you know, objections to them. Like that's one of the core places where we have some of the interesting objection arguments. And I don't know. I mean, it, it does speed up the trial because there are fewer objections, but like, I don't like that. Like I, I think that it's a huge aspect of this activity to learn the rules of evidence. Well, to learn how to enter evidence and like, they didn't have to do that at all this year. And I mean, again, going back to what you said, I do not think this is Gelf or any of the case writers' fault. I think they're doing the best they can with the parameters given to them by the Rules Committee. But I just do not love that these time limits have kind of caused us to really speed up certain aspects of it. I will also say that just in general, I think that this case is already feeling very P-sided to me. And I think one of the things about the time limits is that Yes, traditionally, I think that would help a a defense because you can kind of point out all the things that the plaintiff didn't do and, and how they didn't meet their burden. But I guess my issue with this case is that it's, it is a preponderance burden. It's not as high of a burden as a reasonable doubt burden. And as a result, most defenses, the way that they defend is they bring up some new thing, some their own kind of idea of, of what's going on. And that takes time to do. And I think what's really tough right now is that it, from what I've seen, defenses do not have enough time to develop their theory and defend against what the plaintiff is saying that they did. And I think that that makes it even harder for defenses to be successful. So I just, I, I have a lot of feelings about how P-biased I feel like this case is this year. I, I said to Ben off Mike before we started, I haven't seen a defense that has inspired me this year. And I think that there's someone is going to come up with one before regionals. And I can't wait to hear it because man, I I'm struggling to find a defense that has me inspired. Um, but right now it's, it's tough. I don't think the time limits help. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I wish that we had more time because more time usually makes more interesting theories. Yeah. And I think we don't have to go back to, like everything we were doing, like the statements, for example, I don't feel like I'm missing much with yeah. having two less minutes for statements. Like a, four and eight is plenty of time for opening and closing, particularly in a fairly straightforward case. Um, it, it is, I mean, the numbers so far have shown a pretty significant P bias. Now, I mean, we're barely into November, so obviously that can 
that can change. Uh, and we also, I think, just have not had as many tournaments this mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. uh, there just seems to be less available tournaments. There's less registered teams, which is all all makes total sense. Um, so, yeah, I think we're just all figuring this out. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have any great solutions for any of that. I think if the P bias continues, we'll have to see... Um, you know, well, there'll be some changes that are made to presumably weaken some of the really strong, you know, P pieces of evidence. And I actually agree with you about the pre-admitted exhibits. I get that's, I'm not really sure where it became like sort of a, a norm that this activity when it's done virtually needs to have pre-admitted exhibits, but like it doesn't take any longer to admit evidence in fact in some ways it's shorter because you don't have to walk all over the courtroom yeah. um so i don't know that to me is like for the high school case i wrote i pre-admitted a few exhibits but the big ones that teams are really going to want to use like they got to fight to get them in exactly exactly as they should yeah yeah so i don't know if that's something that they'll adjust i'm, I'm not sure how it's going to develop and, and i think there's some really good aspects to this case. And, and I think I've been encouraged by some things that I've been seeing and by seeing teams creativity and by seeing, like, I was really proud of how the vast majority of my judges at Charm City adapted. Um, you know, we, we, there were some who struggled, but the vast majority of them adapted to the new system and seemed to do just fine. And that's what I feel like I've been seeing at various tournaments. So there's some really positive things that I think we're seeing so far. Uh, but that P bias is a real concern. And, and I would say specifically cross time. Mm -hmm. The, like, I think AMTA needs to either give teams a few more minutes of flexibility for cross or needs to start working on a judge instruction now that basically says, like, if you see an advocate witness on cross, that witness is cheating. And you should punish them. Not like, mm. you know, you should mm. do what you want. But like, a, there was a law school tournament that Maryland Law took part in recently. And they sanctioned teams for advocate witnesses. They, mm. they would pop in the room. If, if you reported it, they would pop in the room. And if they decided that your witness was being an advocate for their side on cross, mm. they would dock points from your ballot. Wow. Um, I'm not necessarily saying AMTA should do that. But, like, I genuinely believe from what I've seen so far that teams are fighting harder on cross because they know that the other team has limited time and it is harder to control a witness on, uh, Zoom. on Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's like something we need to really discourage. I'm not saying anyone's trying to be like, like nefarious or a bad person. I just think people get caught up in the competitive spirit in a round and they're like, I'm going to see if I can burn some of this attorney's time. And I think we need to work a little bit harder to, like give teams the flexibility to control witnesses and take the time they need to control witnesses. Like here's the last thing I'll say on this. It's, it's really hard to impeach a witness right now. The yeah. logistics are tough, yeah. but also you're sitting here. Like I started this cross with four and a half minutes and I've only got two points, but if I take a minute to impeach this witness and if I'm impeaching him, it probably means they're not going to be very cooperative. Can I even get through it? In time? Right. Right. And, and that really changes the nature of the activity. Yeah. You know, I, I do wonder with this, like, Maybe the time limit thing, there needs to almost be a, a way for judges to be allowed to allocate extra time if they feel like there was some, like, you know, whether it's an impeachment or they just feel like the witness was fighting a lot in such a way that it, it, it deems extra time necessary. I mean, that's, I don't love that because it's, 
discretionary of, on the part of the judge kind of never ends well. But I do agree with you that there feels like there needs to be some way to combat that. Um, cause you're right about impeachments. I mean, that is just, that's, that's tough. I mean, it's tough to commit to an impeachment, which is so high risk, high reward. Um, but then, you know, you're really increasing the risk reward factor because you're not going to get many other points made. Um, so it's, it's a huge problem. It's a, it's a valid one. I do want to move us forward a little bit just in the interest of time. You know, as we said, we could probably talk about this stuff forever, but yeah, one <laughs> of the other things that I've noticed is how hard it is to differentiate teams. Um, you know, traditionally you can really out present the other team. You know, you can be off notes. These things are less obvious this year than in the past. I will say that I think I, for the most part, can tell when people are on notes, but I'm sure that someone is out there and figured out a way to, to, to read their notes in such a way that doesn't look like they're reading notes or, you know, hopefully people aren't, but I mean, I just think that it's much more difficult. You don't get the same presence that people have when they're physical in person. The physicality of people's movements aren't the same. I just think that there is a whole new rubric almost of of scoring that's happening now. And it's it's tough. I think it's as someone that's judged a couple of rounds now in this, I really am finding it tougher and tougher to differentiate between um, between two good teams and what is making the difference between good and great right now. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I think my only thought on it is we're, we're learning. Um, and I think teams, I, I think a lot of that has to do with teams still figuring out how to differentiate themselves too. Um, and then just sometimes there are tech limitations where if you have you know, like the setup that I used with uh, Sydney and Ethan for Trial by Combat, which was a fairly elaborate setup. We we had a, you know, like we had a lot of things going on for that. I, of course, don't have the money nor the logistical ability to do that for all of my my students for a regular competition. And so, you know, it's just hard in, under this setup to do the things we would normally do. And then the judges are sitting there trying their best. And, and I believe the vast majority of judges are trying hard not to consider things they're not supposed to consider. So like not considering if your camera quality is not great or your auto audio quality is a little rough or your background is, you know, maybe not the most ideal in the world. Um, I think for the majority of rounds, judges are doing a good job of not considering those things, but then the universe of available things to consider shrinks considerably because Normally, like you said, you'd watch how does someone walk around the room? How comfortable do they look? Do they command the courtroom? Do they operate with, uh, you know, authority and passion and all of these things that we love to see? Do witnesses use small, you know, pieces of body language to communicate mm -hmm. what they're mm -hmm. saying? And those subtleties, it's possible to get them through Zoom, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, And I think we're going to see more as the season goes on, teams will get better, especially to when everybody stacks and you start to get high end rounds with two, you know, elite programs who are fully stacked. And then you're saying, okay, you know, these people have sort of solved this medium, but you think, I mean, we're only like 11 or 12 tournaments in at this point still. Yep. Yep. And, and people are still just trying to figure out how it works. Yeah, and you know, one of the other things that this has brought up for me, I mean, I, I mentioned kind of the ability to look at notes. 
as, as someone that has been coaching rounds that I've been watching, I, I mean, look, we didn't, but wow. I mean, it just would be so easy to just reach out to a student who's struggling through an objection or trying to put together what the response is. I mean, just 8036, 8032, you know, 403, four, whatever, you know, like, I mean, yep. that to me is like dangerous in how easy it is. And it takes a lot of restraint. I mean, I was, we had a group chat of me and some of the other coaches talking in each round and we're like, God, what I wish I could just, you know, put some words in their mouth right now if they're fumbling over it. And I mean, God, it's just so much more tempting now. And I want to believe that no one's going to do anything like that. But again, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of trust that's going in right now. Just like you got to hope that people are following the rules correctly. But I mean, there's nothing to stop kids from communicating with each other a lot more in round. And there's really nothing to stop them from communicating with coaches in round. Um, I don't know, Ben, what do you think about that? It's so funny you mentioned that because it always cracks me up when we have this discussion and someone always chimes in and they're like, well, how much can we really help them in round anyways? I'm like, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I And I, I look, I adore my students but you know so one of the things that's been fascinating this year is they're using a group chat to communicate because of Mm -hmm. course they are and i'm in the group chat now i'm of course not communicating with them during the round but i can watch it's been actually a fascinating experience as a coach i can watch their communications and learn from how they communicate with each other and our first weekend when we had uh two teams at gw and another at wake forest and i'm watching the, the group chats and they're like i think it's this i think it's this and i'm like well that's very wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> right, and they're right. like say this and i'm like oh god don't say that um <laughs> and it's you know and, oh, again it's early in the season we're unstacked but like it if i chime in there and cheat and say hey you're getting this wrong it's this mm-hmm. of course it will be helpful to them right. like there's there's plenty of time to jot in a quick note and again I, like i'm not doing that that's not the point of this right. activity right. it would be why would i be doing this if i was just sitting there trying to like substitute my knowledge for the student congratulations ben you can beat college kids at, at the right career yeah. choice I, <laughs> I i have no doubt in that fact and i do not need validation of that right. fact. but like it's just uh, yeah i i it, it is a genuine question with no solution exactly look it, it's about the the temptation is there i mean look to a certain extent even to within like other students contributing i mean like in the past, if you had team teammates that were just going to watch the round, you know, they're not really involved. But there's no mechanism to prevent me from having, you know, three of my buddies, you know, whether it's members of the team, members of another team watching and, hey, this was their theme. I need a theme flip, you know, and give them two hours to come up with the perfect theme flip. You know, I mean, it's just it, there are there are new challenges and you would be naive to ignore these as, as possibilities. I want to believe, as you said, Ben, that everyone views it the way that we do, that this is an educational activity, that it defeats the purpose if it just becomes who has the, the, you know, the coach with more experience that can come up with a better theme flip that can come up with all the objections for you. This is about the students. It's about the competitors doing this activity. Um, and it should never, never be coaches against coaches in that way. But, um, Look, I mean, when it gets competitive, when it gets down to crunch time, like, mm-hmm. I mean, God, like, I want to believe that if I was coaching a team, I would, I would show restraint. 
But man, I mean, if I have a kid talking and they're saying, oh, this is character evidence. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's this other thing. Um, I mean, it's the final round. And this is, you know, a make or break moment. Like, God, I can see the temptation. And, you know, we just got to hold show restraint. Yeah, I I I agree with that. I think it's going to be a really interesting aspect of this season. Um, one other thing I want to mention about just general like teams and how they interact. So I have, I feel like I have seen a disturbingly high number of teams competing all together in the same room. Um, I'm just going to say right now, I don't, no, I'm sure there's some poor soul on the Ampta board who's assigned to listen to the podcast so that they know if we say anything they hate. But like, true, um, true. like, yeah, and I, I am so sorry to that person, whoever they are. But um, like, I, Ampta needs to ban the practice of having a team all together in a room for this season. Ampta, when they come out with their official rules for how the, the 2021 Ampta season is going to work, they need to say that every student on an individual team must compete from a different room using a different camera. Um, I know that probably isn't what some teams want to do. I know from seeing it that some teams have come up with really interesting systems where they like have separate devices and then they all use one camera. I don't care. Um, number one, it's competitive advantage. It's unfair. And number two, there's a global insert word here, pandemic. Like, like it is more important to keep your students separate so that they don't infect each other with this deadly virus than it is to gain that little bit of competitive advantage. And I just, you know, I, they're like, you see teams and they're all sitting next to each other and they're all wearing masks and then they compete, you know, they stand up to compete and, and they take their mask off. And I'm like, yeah, you don't need to bother wearing a mask then because it's not going to do anything if you're all standing in the same room working without masks. So I, I get, this is a new world and it's hard. We're all figuring it out. But like all of my students are competing from their dorm rooms and from their parents' basements and from whatever random quiet place we can find that particular weekend. And yes, it's a pain in the ass to coordinate all that. I hate it. I miss being in the same room as my students. I, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I miss putting 10 of them in the back of a van and driving six <laughs> hours down to like rural North Carolina. I would kill to get to do that right now. But I just, I want AMTA to take an affirmative stand uh, like on this issue, because I think anything less than that would be a dereliction of our duty to keep our students safe. Right. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is important because, you know, if we need to reward teams, not even reward, but we need to encourage all teams to follow the guidelines of their state, of whatever, you know, they're in, wherever they are to follow the rules that we've been given from society to do the best thing for everyone. And gathering in large groups is not what you're supposed to be doing. And even if your school has formed a bubble, great, good for you. But like that can't be an advantage to those teams for doing something that other people have no way of being able to do. And that specifically, many people are being told, 
you should not and cannot do this. Yeah, it's against some school rules. Exactly. Like students will get suspended if they do that in right. some places. So, so we can't we can't then give an advantage to some teams that that happen to be allowed to. Um, that that to me seems, as you said, is just frankly unfair. Um, and then we we shouldn't we shouldn't be encouraging it, and we should do everything we can to discourage that. Um, so I, I agree with you, Ben. Um, I don't know. You know, hopefully it does come out in some way in the AMTA rules. I think that you know. Obviously, right now, everyone has to be on their own screen of some sort, but, you know, there should be no reason why teams are all, all gathered together when they're competing. It, it shouldn't be necessary to compete this year, and I think that it, as we said, should be discouraged. Yeah, I'll make one last point, and then we should talk about some tournament results. I, I had to chuckle. I was watching around that one of my teams was competing in, and I was keeping an eye on the group chat, and the, the my timekeeper and the other timekeeper were coordinating over, you know, in the Zoom chat. And they get down to rebuttal. And um, I think we thought they had 26 seconds late left. The other side they said they had 28 seconds left. And my timekeeper was like, should we, you know, they're putting this in the group chat. And they're like, should we make a deal at 27 seconds left? And I had to laugh because I feel like that's sort of, number one, <laughs> after the round, I was like, just give them 28 seconds. I don't, I, we don't need the two seconds. I don't whole care. Another like, second. I, it's a difference in a point at least. Come on, yeah, I don't, like, you could just give them the extra two seconds. It's okay. But like, I just want to encourage people to remember that the people on the other side of the Zoom call are humans just like you. Um, I've really been trying to encourage that to my students. And I, I don't know if we're being successful or not. I never try to speak for my students, but it just feels like, you know, the humanity we talked about before about the things we love about all being in the same place. Um, and I think all of that is still true. And I miss that very much. Um, but also just like as a competitor, I remember, I remember that feeling. It wasn't that long ago that I was a competitor. Um, some of my students just rolled my eyes, they're all their <laughs> eyes, but it's true. Um, and like, I remember how intense it is. But at the same time, it's really important to see the people on the other end of that Zoom call as human beings who are students who, who could have gone to your college the same way that, you know, you could have gone to theirs. And they do things the same way that you do. And candidly, they're also living through like a hellish time where they don't want to be competing from their parents' basement as, or their dorm room. Mm -hmm. Um and I just, I really, I think we're not doing a very good job of this as a community. I don't think as coaches, we're encouraging this enough. And I don't think the competitors are living it out enough to say, hey, like, you know, the other timekeeper says they've got 10 more seconds than they do. But if I call time in a Zoom setting, yeah. everyone's going to have to stop. And then yep. the ending to their closing is going to be totally screwed up. Just give them the end extra 10 seconds. It's October. It's November. They just want to finish up their closing. Like, come on, people. What are we doing? You know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned this. This actually happened in one of our Empire rounds, too. And, and it, timekeepers have more control this year than they have ever in the past. Yep. When you unmute yourself and say, time. It disrupts things in ways that it just didn't in the past. Everyone can tell if you're, if, you know, I mean, we, you know, if the other, if there's a disagreement between the two timekeepers about how much time was left, we had an instance where the other team called time where our timekeeper had like 40 seconds left. And as a coach, you can just sit there and be like, what the, f you know, you know what just happened. And I'm like, dude, like, why didn't you communicate with our timekeeper that you like 
they saw that we just put up a minute like a couple seconds ago. And it totally threw our closer off. She was just at a loss of like, oh, okay. And like, it was an uncomfortable ending for her. Like, of course it was. And it was just like, what the heck? And I just, look, to what Ben just said, like, guys, 30 seconds, two seconds. Like, it just doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't. Like, I'm just, I get that you want to be hard on the rules. You want to do everything you can to succeed and win. But there's a right way and there's just, frankly, a wrong way to win. And if you're winning because you're being, frankly, like, a bit of a jerk about how tightly you timed it and maybe you stopped the objections a little bit quicker than the other team did, like, guys, like, it's just, do we think that's the point? Like, do we think that that's the, the, the goal that we're trying to achieve through mock trial? Like, do we think that is a actual real life skill that matters at all ever? Like, of course not. So why are we being like ridiculous about it now? So I, you know, I'm glad you brought it up, Ben. Um, but I just, I, it happens too often. And I think especially on Zoom, it just, you, you have an opportunity to really throw people off when you do things like that. And I would encourage people not to do it. Yeah, and, and we don't get that the 30 minutes before a round when you're all in there and you can like talk to the other team and like see them as a human yeah. being. And that's yeah. all I'm encouraging people to do is remember that even though we're not getting that because all our cameras are off while we're all frantically preparing, like these are still just, you know, other humans on the other side. Um, but there's a lot of other things that we want to get through before we finish this episode. Uh, Drew, we, we kind of prepared a little bit of a rundown of some of the tournament results we've seen so far. So I will kick that over to you. Do you want to go through, you know, I mean, we're recording this um, uh, the Thursday after the election. So it's early November. We're both sitting here, presumably keeping an eye, one eye on the news to see if anything important happens tonight. Um, but do you want to give a rundown on the results we've seen so far and just some of the interesting uh, tournament results that we have? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of go through them quickly. Um, I will I will quickly say that I uh, judged at Vanderbilt's tournament and Tufts tournament, but I'll, we'll get to those in turn. Um, but I will start with, with uh, Vanderbilt's tournament, grand old tournament. Um, the winner of that tournament was Miami, who went 8-0, a very impressive run. I actually saw one of their rounds. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but second place was Florida State. They went 7-1, and one, um, also a really strong showing out of them. Um, I'm just going to do kind of the top two for most of these, and we'll kind of keep going based on that. Uh, the next one I'm going to go to is Scarlet and Gray, which was hosted by Ohio State. Um, this had two teams at 7-1, and one, both Wesleyan University and Michigan State. Was you Michigan or Michigan State? I think it was Michigan State. University of Michigan. It was University of Michigan, not Michigan State. Sorry, University of Michigan um, was the other 7-1 and one team at, at uh, Scarlet and Gray. Uh, going down to GW's habeas hippopotamus, uh, we had uh, kind of an unusual setup there where they had four different divisions, and each division winner then went to a fifth round. Uh, the winners of those fifth kind of championship rounds were Rhodes and UGAB, um, you know, obviously two very impressive showings out of them to kind of win that fifth round. Um, moving on, we'll go to Tufts tournament, which was just this last weekend. Um, the two teams that kind of top two there, Rhodes at seven and one, and then NYU at six, one and one. Um, I think NYU, we kind of haven't heard a lot from them in a little while. And it's good to see them kind of back and, and, and doing well. Um, and I'll have to say that Rhodes is one of the teams that I saw at Tufts. So I, no surprises there. They're always very, very strong. Um, I, I want to quickly mention the Nordic Invitational, which was hosted by uh, University of Minnesota. Um, 
they had a pretty strong field. And I thought the the top three teams uh, just needed to be said. It's just kind of funny. UMass Amherst managed to take the top three spots in order, UMass A, UMass B, and then UMass C, in the top three spots. And again, a, a very competitive invitation on just a very impressive showing out of them and just a overall program strength to do that well. Um, so just quick shout out to them. I thought that was kind of a cool result. Um, can't say much better than that. Um, but moving right along, um, we also have the Colonial Classic, which was hosted by William and uh, William and Mary mock trial. Um, the winner there was Washington and Lee at seven and one, and second place was Georgetown with a six wins and a very high twenty three CS. Um, kind of only see that at Invitationals typically. Hopefully, we don't see that at Orcs anymore. Um, <laughs> but to continue on to the last kind of major tournament we've had, hosted by our own. UMBC and Ben, um, Charm City, uh, which was a 12 ballot tournament. So the, you know, the, the results are a little bit different, but we had GW, uh, with eight and a half ballots, UVA with eight, and then UMBC also with eight ballots. Um, it's kind of crazy, Ben, just saying, you know, at Charm City that the top ranked team got what would be the equivalent of six and a third ballots. Um, you know, most time we see seven wins or eight wins is enough to take first, but a, a very balanced tournament it looks like at Charm City. Um, so that's kind of the the basic rundown of all of the kind of major tournaments that we've had so far. Again, we haven't had a ton. Um, there are certainly many, many more tournaments to come. But as as we mentioned earlier, there just haven't been as many tournaments as we've had the past couple of years. More than anything else, just because. You know, there are fewer teams competing, and it's it's a weird, weird year. So we're making the best of what we got. But, uh, Ben, anything you want to add to any of the uh, tournaments I mentioned? Not specifically. And we know we didn't hit every single one. We tried to grab, you know, yeah. sort of some of the ones that, that we saw. And there was there have been a couple of other invitationals. There's some that were a little bit earlier uh, into October. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – I mean, you mentioned this when we were talking before the show that this time of year – you know, when we look at results, it's often like, oh, the good programs are still good. Um, but you start to see, right, like when you think about the people who um, have made final round appearances over the last few years, obviously Rhodes is doing well. Um, UVA took second place at Charm City. Um, you know, you see uh, several of the programs that we're very accustomed to seeing uh, this time of year who, who do well. Um, it will be very interesting to see I think a lot of teams are moving towards stacking. I know we've got one more weekend. This coming weekend, we've got two teams at Northwestern, one team at Duke, and then we stack. Um, and I think this is about the time of year where a lot of people start to stack. And so, you know, I know GAMT is is later in November, and that'll kind of finish up the fall season. So it'll be super interesting to see when we check in in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. right, what do the last few weekends look like once everybody has stacked for the most part um, I know some people don't stack till winter, but for those who who have, just to get a sense of of who's really going to be figuring out this system. Uh, what I'm kind of keeping an eye on, and what the reason that Rhodes stands out to me is, you know, what works in a system like this, especially when we may not have much in the way of geographic divide this year. I don't know if Amta will end up doing, uh, like anyone can go anywhere in the country. Uh, for regionals, I, I doubt they will completely just for time zone issues. But even if like, say they say the East Coast and the Midwest could kind of be in the same 
uh, area. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting to me to see Rhodes having success at different tournaments when we know their style being pretty forceful with really interesting character witnesses. But then you also see other programs who maybe have a more uh, clinical style, you know, the Patrick Henrys of the world, uh, sort of the one that stands out to me off the top of my head, um, who are also doing well in this system. So I think more than anything else, I think my last reaction is this season is wide open. Yeah. Right. When you think about the 15 seniors that graduated, uh, after trial by combat, you think about the fact that we didn't even find out what our full nationals field was going to be last year. Um, so many big names graduated last year. Um, and the combination of the fact that, the at least temporary national champion two years ago in Yale, of course, got hit really hard with those sanctions. And then, you know, obviously Yale's going to be Yale. I have no doubt that they're going to be in it at the end, but um, maybe is still rebuilding a little bit in that way. Um, UVA lost some really big names over the last couple of years. Uh, Chicago obviously just lost Regina Campbell and, and Peter Bound. And and like it, it is going to be so interesting to see who steps up and is able to establish themselves as, you know, the team that handles this system and the way that we're doing things. And candidly, with the results we have right now, I have no idea who it's going to be. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, we, look, you never expect to see, you know, one team rising above the others in the fall invitationals. Um, it's just, it's, it's teams are trying things out. They're trying to see what works best. Um, and that's what we kind of expect. I think, as you said, Ben, you know, in the coming weeks, we're going to start to get a better picture of how this looks. And I, I agree with you. I'm kind of hoping that we're going to get a more clear um, a picture of what this looks like. But one thing I will say, one thing that wasn't um, on here that I just wanted to make note of because I saw them and, and they, you know, while they didn't win any of these tournaments, they deserve to be acknowledged. I thought UCLA was fantastic. I saw them in their round against Rhodes at Tufts, um, and I was presiding that round, and it was a fun really really clean round um i i was really really impressed by ucla and again they they haven't won any of these but i just wanted to say that i I think that they they probably just belong in any conversation and again it's like wow what a what a call drew you think ucla is gonna do well this year i mean okay (laughs) i know i get it right exactly but i i did think that they were really really fantastic and really strong um which you know no surprises there they were um I will say this. I, I am really intrigued about Yale this year. I know I talk about Yale a lot, but this is, I mean, Yale obviously hasn't had any um, notable tournament successes so far, but this is a, you know, a weird year for Yale where they, I mean, they are really hard rebuilding. Um, they've had a ton of people graduate recently, obviously with the, the sanctions that they've undergone. I mean, it's, it's a, 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 you know, the true, in my, in my opinion, you know, last year, of course, they had the sanctions, so it was tough. They had a lot of members that couldn't compete, but a lot of those really strong members were still there. They were still a really crazy strong team. Um, I don't know how Yale's going to do this year. I'm, I, I, you know, they're Yale, so I expect they're going to pull something out. But I mean, it, you know, we're yet to see them really show up in a big way. And I'm hoping that as as time goes on, we may get a better picture of what Yale is going to look like this year. But um, I don't know. I mean, look, it's it's a new circumstances for everyone. But I, you know, 
they've had a streak of going to the national final round uh, pretty consistently for the last couple of years. I mean, five in a row if we're not counting last year. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to see if that that sticks for another year or not. Yeah, and and so along those lines, both with UCLA and Yale. So I think the this past weekend at Tufts was maybe one of the first, like like that was a brutal field. We had a, yeah, an unstacked team there that went four and four and had some really good rounds. And so UCLA was they took third at that tournament, six and two with the CS of twenty. Um, and then one of the Yale teams, I assume they're unstacked right now, but one of the Yale teams actually was an honorable mention. Um, went six and two, swept rounds over Patrick Henry and Chicago. Uh, you also saw their fourth place was UC Berkeley, uh, who had an interesting result. We didn't mention, um, Penn State's tournament because it happened pretty early, but I believe Berkeley took first and second at that tournament. So they're all, I mean, they're always a danger. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm super fascinated by how Yale's going to do this year when they stack, when like, aside from, you know, I think there's maybe like one person left over from the nationals team that eventually got, got stripped of their title. Um, but all their all Americans are gone. And, uh, you, you have to think that a year like this favors a team like UCLA that has such a massive institutional footprint, presumably has as much money as they need to spend to, to get what they need. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I just am guessing based on the pedigree of their program and then the power of their witnesses, especially that you have to think teams like UCLA and Rhodes who have like really forceful presentation and then witnesses who are just going to blow you away with character. Like you got to be able to get away with, I would think a little bit more this year because judges just want something to jump off the screen. Um, and it doesn't surprise me to, you know, to know that uh, UCLA is doing well. So lot of fascinating tournaments out there you know left i mean northwestern this coming weekend i think it's 34 teams so that's gonna be super interesting to see how that goes duke is an absolutely loaded field this year Mm -hmm. it's always great but um you know it's it's stacked stacked as hell this year so i think the next time we talk in a couple weeks we'll have more clarity on who's winning the fall season yeah and and, you know i'm glad you brought up next weekend i want to really quickly mention um a lot of teams that were either going to have a first tournament or, or you know, are aware of it and know what's going on. Um, Harvard had to cancel their tournament last week. And I, I just want to really quickly read um, the first paragraph of the email that was sent out to um, the judges from them really quickly. Um, and just so people understand, um, the tournament was canceled. Most of the teams, as Ben was kind of saying, uh, went ended up going to Northwestern's tournament to my understanding. We've kind of helped pass along some of our judges to them. Um, but here is the the kind of start of that email. Uh, as some of you may know, Walter Wallace Jr. was murdered by police on Monday night. In response, the Habford student body is currently on strike. The strike is a response to systematic issues of exploitation and chronic pain enacted on BIPOC students on on our community and will continue until the Habford College's administration shows clear and genuine action demanded by the student body. As part of the strike, we have committed to refrain from both academics and extracurriculars we partake in as part of Haverford College. Uh, the email goes on to explain kind of what else is going on, but uh, the point being Black Squirrel was canceled um, due to this strike, and I think that, you know, it's... I think it's important to understand that as as much as we talk about mock trial, as important as an activity is to all of us and to many of our listeners, 
um, the real world sometimes comes first. And I think that's one of those situations. And I'm, I'm proud of, of the Havard team for what they're doing. Um, I, I stand by them and, and the decision that they made about this tournament. Um, I'm, I'm glad that a lot of the other tournaments, the other teams were able to find alternatives on such short notice. But um, I, I think that this is one of those times where the real world kind of invades our little mock trial bubble a little bit. Yeah, all I'll say on that is I 100% agree with you. Uh, obviously, you know, when we got the news, we were disappointed only in the sense that your tournament is wonderful every year and we enjoy going to it. But, you know, UMBC mock trial and, and, and you know, me as a person, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And we stand with the students of Haverford um, and specifically uh, the students who are leading this strike, um, this this just absolutely incredibly important movement that that students on campuses all over the country are leading that we've discussed on this podcast before. Um, that is more important than mock trial. And uh, it was very, uh, I, I don't know what the exact right word is. I'll say it was very heartening. Uh, and that's not the perfect word, but it was heartening to see uh, Haverford mock trial uh, stand with the remainder of the campus and do exactly what I think they they should be doing in that situation. And it's much more important for Haverford to be doing that than to be worrying about, you know, a mock trial tournament at this exact moment. And also I will commend, um, you know, the Haverford mock trial leadership uh, for working very hard to accommodate teams, help teams get scrimmages, help teams get into other tournaments, help other tournaments, help absorb those teams, did literally everything that they could have done and I'm sure that took a lot of hours of work. So I'm very grateful to that. And honestly, just have a lot of appreciation and affection for for your folks at Haverford. They always put on a great tournament. And knock on wood, this time next year, I'll be putting students in a van and heading up to Philadelphia to, you know, try to find one of the elevators that's working right, at, right, the, exactly. at the Criminal Justice Center. Well, hopefully it'll be when we're all back in person and, and back to some semblance of, of quote-unquote normalcy. Um, but no, Ben, I, I appreciate the kind words, and I know that the team does as well. Um, but to to kind of uh, move forward, Ben, I, I think that we've kind of had this nice arc to this podcast where we started by talking about the high school high school world. We talked a little about AMTA and the college world, as we always do. But I want to end talking about the law school mock trial world. Obviously, you're very involved there as well. So, Ben, you know, I want to just kick it to you. Talk to us a little bit. How is a uh, how's Maryland law doing? <laughs> I'll be very brief uh, here just because I know that a lot of our competitors probably aren't as interested in this aspect of uh, of things. But it's been really cool to be back in the law school mock trial world. I wasn't doing much in it the last couple of years because I was just traveling so much with UMBC. But I've been managing director at Maryland Law now for about three and a half months. Um, and it was really cool. So this semester, we had uh, two teams who competed, one at so uh, St. Mary's Law School, which is in San Antonio, usually does a great tournament every semester called the Lone, Lone Star Classic. It's an awesome tournament. I went to it twice when I was in law school. Um, they didn't do it this year. It was actually my old coach who runs the program there now. Um, and instead, there was this massive nationwide tournament called the All-Star Bracket Challenge. It was 64 teams divided into four divisions, um, four regions, and then the top four teams in each region um, moved on to uh, almost like an NCAA style bracket. Uh, so my team, which was actually three former AMTA competitors, it was two former students uh, of, it's actually, okay, sorry, it's actually four former AMTA students because we had a tech chair as well. Two former students of mine, 
uh, former All-American at Penn State, a former competitor at Ithaca College. They went 11-1, and swept all of their rounds, won their region, and went on to the to the national competition. Not bad, you know, nothing, nothing big. <laughs> yeah, they, they were fantastic. They did a great job. Um, and then our other team who competed at a tournament that uh, Buffalo Law School hosts also advanced to the semifinals. Um, I don't say that to, I mean, okay, I do say that to brag a little bit, but I say that to just say it's been really cool to see the difference between mock trial uh, online at the college level and the law school level. It's similar to the differences in real life where law school mock trial is much more matter of fact and it's less theatrical. Witnesses aren't scored. But a lot of the things that I think are working at the college level are also working at the law school level. And it's been really educational to me to get to watch the two sides and the two you know different mock trial worlds uh, kind of figure this out at the same time. So I'll say what I say whenever I talk about this, which is I think what we're doing at Maryland Law is really cool. I believe that we're the best place in the country to go for law school if you want to continue your mock trial career. Um, and I really hope that people out there who are listening will consider applying to Maryland because I'm not going anywhere. I intend to be running that program for as long as they'll let me. And my hope is that we'll be able to continue to build on the success we've had. So it's been really cool. And honestly, I don't understand, you know, how I managed to get lucky enough to get to, you know, run both of my alma mater mock trial programs, but it's been a dream come true and I'm super excited for next semester. Well, look, I think that we have been talking long enough. Uh, I definitely think that there, as we kind of mentioned, we touched on a lot of different things, um, but it's been a long time since we've been in people's feeds. So I think that uh, probably good to call it here and we'll just be looking forward to some future results that we get. Obviously, we always do focus a little more on the college world than either law school or high school, um, but it's good to kind of check in with our fellow neighboring communities. Um, <laughs> but without further ado, this has been The Mock View with Ben and Drew.